This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Ted Cunningham. Today we're looking at two very short parables packed with meaning about the value of the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to look at the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl. Now, I want to ask, have you ever put on a pair of jeans or a coat after summer and reached in the pocket and found money? Have you ever done that? Who Raise your hand if you have found money. Is there any greater joy in the world than finding money? I stop whenever I'm doing to announce to my family, I found money. I will come up to strangers throughout the day to go, I started my day by finding money. I have a friend told me some time ago that he opened a drawer and found $1,000 that he forgot he had. I said, how rich you got to be to forget you got $1,000 sitting in a drawer. Anyway, so he's got it going on. But let's just be honest for a second. I've, this is like six or seven bucks. That's the first observation. The second observation is it's my money. I didn't find new money. Now, if I reached in your pocket and found money, that would bring me even greater joy. In your coat pocket, uh, in your, anyway, so I, w- I don't go, I'm not, not that pastor reaching in people's pockets trying to get the offering. Did you give today? All right, so, uh, but when you find something, you want to tell people about it. You want to share it. And today, uh, we're looking at a parable where uh, one stumbles across this treasure, the other is looking for something of great value. And as, as we see all throughout Scripture, there are people who were actively seeking out Jesus. I, I think about Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You know, at night he went to find Jesus. But then when you think about Paul, who the Scripture says in Acts 9, he was, you know, breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples when he was knocked down. And today, in this room and over at the chapel and online, there are people who are seeking. There are people who are searching. Some are seeking Christ actively. They want to know more about what the church is all about, what it means to be a part of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And they're they're seeking that. But there are others who are seeking, but they're not necessarily seeking Christ. And I want to talk to those of you who are seeking and searching for something today. Some of you are, are seeking answers to your questions. And you want to know if there's someone here that can meet with you and answer some of these questions. There are others here who are just seeking comfort for pain. Uh, We meet a lot of people who find their way into the church who have been through a traumatic event in their life. Uh, Maybe they're grieving or they've just been through a divorce. And they're in a lot of pain and they haven't been able to find any help. They've looked online. They've looked in the neighborhood. They've looked in the community. Uh, They know a friend or a family member that maybe goes to Woodland Hills or to another church that they may have been visiting, and and that kind of started them on their journey of seeking. There are others who are here seeking healing for brokenness. Uh, These are the stories at our church that I love, like Marriage 911. A marriage is in crisis, and they call the church, and within 24 hours, RG, Karen, or another Marriage 911 mentor calls them, and they... They stepped into the church and started a conversation with the church thinking they were going to get help for their marriage, and in the meantime, they found the Lord. Uh, They they didn't realize that their greatest need was salvation, and we hear these stories all the time of someone at Panera Bread meeting with a husband or a wife and leading them to Christ right there at the table. 
There are others that are just seeking guidance for the future. And in this first parable that we look at today, it's a one-sentence parable talking about the value of the kingdom. And I want to talk to believers today and ask you the question, are you, are you still treasuring Christ in the kingdom? You realize what you have found and what you are a part of. And do you have joy as you think about your relationship with the Lord and your work in the kingdom? But I also am thinking about the one who's just walking through a field right now, looking for something else, and they stumble upon this great treasure. So let's look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. So you got to remember in that day, they didn't have banks that governments would bail out. I was going to leave that little joke out uh, today, but I thought uh, I'd leave that one out. But they didn't have banks to put their prized possessions in. They, they would take it and bury it to protect it. So this guy's walking through a field and he finds this treasure. And in that day, whoever owned the field or owned the land owned everything on it and in it. And so it says, when a man found it, he hid it again. And then this is the key and where we want to start today. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had. He was willing to to sell everything because he knew how great a value he had found. And it says, and we'll look at this and spend more time with this in the last parable, and bought that field. Today, I want us to really explore and really talk about and let our hearts be stirred and let our affections be stirred with Christ and his kingdom. That we would treasure Christ and his kingdom. And then ask the hard questions. What if we're no longer treasuring Christ as we once did? As we talk about the kingdom of heaven today, we need to understand it is both a present reality and a future expectation. It is in our midst and it has not yet come. It is now and later. It is in our midst right now, followers of Jesus, and it will come again with Christ in the second coming as it is a physical, literal kingdom. Now what's important is the disciples at this time, knowing what they were gonna be going through, they were looking for an immediate, powerful kingdom of David. They wanted something that could be established and be a protection for them. And Jesus says this as he explains the kingdom more. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, and both Adam and and Shea explain that clearly, that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are synonymous, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say or point to and say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. And we want to start today with understanding that that some of us, if you go back to when you became a follower of Jesus and the joy that you had, willing to give up everything to follow Christ, and you you didn't see that as a trade that you had to do begrudgingly. You did it willingly and with joy in your heart. You were willing to let go everything of the world because of the treasure that you had found in Christ and his kingdom. But after we've been believers for some time, after we've walked with the Lord for a few years, uh, this joy can fade, if we can be very honest. And I think it's one of the reasons why so many of us were inspired recently by this movie, Jesus Revolution. Who has seen Jesus Revolution? Okay. I can't encourage you enough as your pastor to go see this movie. If you want your heart stirred with the joy of the treasure of Christ and his kingdom, 
go see this movie. It is the story of Greg Laurie, who's a pastor in California. And it's the story of the hippies moving down from San Francisco into Southern California and finding Christ, and a revival breaks out among the hippies. How many of you grew up with the hippies? Let me just see. Okay. How many of you were a hippie? Okay. All right. The first, I guess, Greg Bettis, did he raise his hand back there? You better raise your hand, Greg. I've seen the pictures. I got the proof. So, uh, so they start coming to the Lord, and the joy that you will get in this movie. There were several times in this movie if you were in the theater, Branson Meadows with me when I was watching it, I, I, I had fist in the air like three times. Like, I, I was like, yes, oh, that is so good right there. And what had happened was Lonnie was coming down from San Francisco, and Pastor Chuck's daughter meets him and then introduces him to her dad, who is a pastor of a small congregation, an established congregation. And uh, the hippies start coming into the church. And on this side of the church... You had all of these hippies not wearing shoes, right? And on this side, you had the suits. Again, nothing wrong with suits, nothing wrong with shoes. Uh, but they're on this side, and you, you had two things going on. And Pastor Chuck, you could see it play Like, he was really wrestling with it. Because in the first scene, and it's play, the, Pastor Chuck's played by Kelsey Grammer. And uh, I, he is speaking clearly online. I know the God, that God did a work in his heart in this movie. I mean, he was stirred, and he, you, when, you, when you start mentioning this movie and then you start mentioning the name of Jesus, the joy comes to his face. And, and so he's a pastor trying to figure out what to do, because when he's watching the, the hippie movement on TV, he has the same thoughts some of you had. Then he's looking at it going, you know, they, they need a bath. <laughs> they need a job, right? He, that, so that's where his heart was. And then you get to watch this whole movie, Pastor Chuck's Heart Softening. And it, it's, to me, it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. He's just sitting on a stool with his Bible in the front of the church, and he looks out. <laughs> he looks out at the hippies and says, go tell your friends they're welcome here. Go, go bring them in. This, this door back here will always be open for them, and I want you to bring your friends so they can hear about Jesus like you heard about Jesus and how Jesus has changed your life. The joy you have in Christ, I want you to go tell your friends and bring them in. And then he turned to this side of the church. And this was when my hand went up the first time. He said, I need to tell all of you, that door works both ways. <laughs> Man, I, was, I about jumped out of my chair. Well, I've been fighting this for 25 years. Yes! Yes! Two old guys got up and walked out the back. Another old guy gets up, very tense moment, like, but it's, it's, it's and, and he looks, and he's got this just, have you remember singing the song, I've got the joy, 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 joy? Yeah, and some of you need to tell your face. It's so far down in your soul, it hasn't come out in a long time. But this old guy gets up, and he walks across, and he sits between two people who don't look like him, who don't act like him, but they are brothers in Christ Jesus. And I mean, the whole movie takes a turn for me. I'm pumping my fist. And may Woodland Hills be a place. You go invite your friends to this place. The ones smoking the dope and eating the little gummies and, and <laughs> that got drunk last night. What joy there would be in this church if the homeless said that is a place where we can feel comfortable. 
If the homeless started showing up here in Branson and that we just brought them in, brought them in. We're not moving past three services, so we got to figure something out. <laughs> but bring them in. Bring them in multiple times in that movie. I'm going, yes, Lord. And some of you, I think the reason the Jesus Revolution movie stirred so many of us and brought so much joy to us is because of the times that we live in and all the bad news we feed ourselves with. And so if, you, if you've lost that joy in treasuring Christ and his kingdom, and I think that's just something we have to start with today to be honest with. Ted, I've lost the joy. Ted, I've not experienced the joy of, of giving it all up, selling it all to follow Jesus, to know that, that there's great treasure. I want my affection and my joy to be stirred today. I want that for you. I want that for our church. I want that for our community. I think that's happening around our country. People are tired of the last few years of all of the anger and all of the hatred and they're like, let followers of Jesus be the ones to lead out being stirred with joy for Christ and his kingdom and be reminded of the treasure that we have in him. And, and it, I have one more passion in life. This is really getting me worked up. Nothing wears me out more than when I hear pastors or Christians say there's a difference between joy and happiness. Please stop saying that. I think we have drawn that line. It's not a biblical. The Bible does not do such hair splitting between joy and and happiness. But what we've said is joy is an inner peace. Maybe you had a Sunday school teacher when you were growing up that would get up and go, all right, today we're going to talk about joy. <laughs> okay. Will you be our primary example? Because, but I think what we've done is joy is something you have on the inside. No, joy is something that should be showing on the outside. It should ooze out of you. But so what we say is, no, that's happiness. Happiness is based on your outward circumstances. Pastor John Piper has been saying this for years, and no one gets it, and no one goes with him, but a man who has studied the Bible. The Bible is indiscriminate in its use of the language happiness and joy, contentment and satisfaction. That you and I today would be stirred in our happiness, joy, contentment, and satisfaction in Christ and his kingdom. And that we would find that joy again. For those who've never placed faith in Jesus, that today you would hear about the treasure and you would say, I want that. And I will go sell everything I got to have it. But I want to talk about joy killers just for a little bit. What sucks the life out of our joy? What drains us of joy as followers of Christ? And the first one I think we can say, the scripture uses a very clear example with the church at Ephesus, is just drift. I don't think anybody wakes up. If you've followed Christ for any number of years, you don't wake up and go, today I'm just not going to be as serious about it. No one makes that decision. Drift is not a decision. Joy is. Joy is something we choose. It's something we go after. And in Revelation 2, Jesus says this, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. And what is Jesus telling them? You're doing good things, right? And you're, you're working hard, and that's good, and that's to be commended. So it starts with a commendation, but it goes on. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You've done so much good stuff for the church, for the kingdom, but, but you have forsaken the love you had at first. And some of you in here can identify with that. 
And my encouragement to you today is never allow your work in the kingdom to drain your joy for the kingdom. I, we hear it all the time at Woodland Hills. Some people coming from other churches where they were hurt or they were burned out. I talk to a lot of pastors that find their way here. Some retire here and they're like, listen, I know you're going to be wanting us to serve. I know you're going to be wanting us to plug in and be a part of this local body. But we just need to sit for a while. Is it okay with you? It's like they're asking permission. Is it okay that we don't like jump in, roll up our sleeves and get busy? We are tired. And I used to be like, we will give you two weeks <laughs> to catch your breath. You can ask. I mean, I think about some of the retired people around here that when I find out what you did or what you're, I'm like, you're in. Like, let's go. Let's run. But I know what you're saying. You're saying, I've done so much. I've worked so much. I put years in. Ted, can I just have a moment to just love my Savior? Can I just worship with this church? I just, I want my affections for Christ stirred and I've been hit on and beat on and, and I'm, I'm a little bit tired. I'm not saying I'm not gonna plug in, I'm not gonna serve, but I want to fall in love again with my Savior. And for some of you, you're in that drift right now. You've been in drift and you need today your joy for the Savior rekindled. You need that happiness, con contentment and delight brought back into your life, you need to find the treasure again. You need to find the treasure. Not be saved again, that's not what I'm saying, but you know what I'm saying. You need to be reminded of the treasure you have in Christ and the kingdom. Here's another joy killer that we all can relate to, outrage. You know one of my passions in life is helping couples enjoy life together. I, I get to do it almost every weekend, but I've, I've come up with a new one in the last year, and I've been telling churches and, and uh, events this, hey, listen, another one of my passions is to help America find its sense of humor again. Y'all, we lost it. We lost it a couple years ago. We don't know how to laugh at ourselves. We don't know how to cut loose and have fun. And, and because we're mad all the time, unresolved anger is like uh, drinking poison, expecting the other person to get sick. You never bury it dead. You always bury it alive. And every day we've got this buried anger that we wake up, turn on the news to find out what I should be mad about right now. And it used to be I'm going to be mad about this thing for a week, but it seems like that cycles down to like every 24 hours. I'm something, no, something new I need to be mad about. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. And some of you, you have no joy in the treasure of Christ and his kingdom because you have a crushed spirit and it is drying up your bones. I've seen, I've seen the physical effects of the outrage and the anger that people carry around. It starts to hit them physically at some point. And we need to get back to understanding. This is not just a Christmas verse. This is a year-round verse. Remember when the angel declared to the shepherds, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. When you hear about the treasure of Christ and his kingdom, and the gospel is clearly presented to you, if it doesn't sound like good news, I heard one pastor say this, if the gospel doesn't sound like good news, maybe you haven't heard the original version. You've heard man's version who tacked other stuff onto it, who put the list onto it. You haven't heard about Jesus and what he has done for you. And we want to make sure at this church we always teach the original version. The original version. And I just want to remind all of us, we're good news that causes great joy. If we declare the good news today and it doesn't stir great joy in you, let's explain it again because maybe you didn't get the original version, but I want to remind believers in here today, we are good news people living in a bad news world. 
Don't take the bait. Don't keep clicking. Be around people who understand the good news. I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago on Christian journalism. It was, it was an intriguing podcast, and it said uh, uh, one of the major Christian publications listed, you know, like their top 20 stories for the year, and it, it was pretty much just bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. And people started asking them, why don't you ever report on anything good? Like the good stuff God's doing in the church. And I, I love their answer. They said, because nobody reads it. Nobody clicks on that stuff. You know what they just did right there? They put it back in our court. They put it back on us. You're the ones. Ted, you're the one that's clicking on this. You love the story of failure and this church going down and the church being in decline and the pastor had this problem, the pastor did this. And, the, and You love those stories and you click on them. You can't get enough of them. You know what they call it? I hate to use this term, but it's the term being used, failure porn. And we're addicted to it. We love to hear the bad news. And, and you understand journalism is supposed to be about accountability and trust and and uh, confronting and truth. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Uh, every pastor needs a church member that will finish his sentences. That's, uh, <laughs> that's a good church member right there. Thank you. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to just give you the rest of the notes, and you would follow along. Anyway, but truth and what, what are the limits of that? Anyway, uh, <laughs> you got me thrown. Squirrel. So the... Truth and justice and accountability has been replaced by clicks. What will people hit on? And I want to remind us, don't take the bait. It's drained your soul of joy. You have forgotten the treasure that is in Christ Jesus and his kingdom. And we have to guard ourselves against it. There's another one that I know has drained some of you. It's drained me, and it may be in your marriage. It may be uh, in your family, community, country, uh, and it fits kind of with outrage, it's conflict. Conflict has drained you. And Paul addresses young Timothy and he says, listen, if you want to be faithful as the Lord's servant, there's something you really have to be on guard with. This is one of the most convicting texts I've been sitting in for uh, months now. Because this is, this is the message I need. And I know it's a message that many of you need. As we look back on it, it says, 2 Timothy 2, 23 through 26, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Do you know what he's saying there? Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. <laughs> I, I felt I needed to interpret that for all of us. You know what the commentaries say that he's saying there? Do not have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Okay, because you know they produce quarrels. You know what the word is for quarrels? Don't be smart. Some of you are going, quarrels? No, uh, quarrels is hand-to-hand -hand combat. And we've had plenty of it in the last couple of years, haven't we? Hand-to-hand -hand combat, uh, combat over stupid and foolish arguments. In our church, we use this at starting point, and, and it, it's just a simple outline, but it, hopefully it makes sense that in our essential beliefs, what we believe about God, Jesus, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Bible, heaven, hell, these are our essentials. And in our essentials, we have unity. In our non-essentials, we have liberty. You're like, well, what's a non-essential? I'll give you one. Tattoos. Don't ever make tattoos an essential issue. Some of you have, like them. Some of you have them. Some of you don't. We don't, can't, it's just not a conversation we're going to have. The other one, how about this? Yoga. Okay, that, we're putting that in the non-essential category. 
Okay, wine, non-essential category. We're not going to elevate all of these two essentials. And, I, and, and you will find people all the time wanting to engage you in non-essential arguments and debates. I get asked all the time, Ted, what, you heard me say this, what do you think about yoga pants? I don't even want to talk to you about it right now. This is such an awkward conversation. But if you must know my opinion, I don't feel comfortable wearing them. But it's a non-essential. That's my opinion. Okay. And in non-opinions, we got liberty. But here's the key, the third part. In all of our beliefs, we show love. And so what Paul is telling Timothy, listen, people are going to want to drag you into foolish and stupid arguments. I feel like as a pastor, this is all I've done the last three years, engaging people in foolish and stupid arguments. Those moments up here where you see me going, oh, it's, it's exhausting. Let's talk, verse 24 says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Listen, when it comes to being quarrelsome, I'm one of the world's best. And I beat every argument I ever have with you around 2 a.m. when I'm laying in my bed thinking about what we discussed earlier in the day. And I didn't have all my points succinct, but they're clear at 2. I'm like, oh, I wish I would have said that. Oh, I would have won. What would I have won? A quarrel? A foolish and stupid argument? And some of you in here, over the last couple years, you've wanted to drag me into, what do you think about this? They're going to make us do this. Then what about this? I, can I just not engage? Well, then you're soft. What? No. <laughs> no, I just, I just think this is quarrelsome. I don't need the quarrel. It's, it's, it, 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 doesn't, it, it, it has nothing to do with treasuring Jesus and the kingdom. And you've made the mistake of linking this thing you're quarrelsome about to Jesus and the kingdom. And let's please do this. Okay, so... <laughs> Not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. Why, Jesus' followers, do we have to be reminded of this? Why do we have to try to figure But what does it mean to be kind to everyone? Well, if you study it, it means be kind to everyone. <laughs> your friends, your family, even your enemies, the people that don't look like you, that don't vote like you, that don't talk like you, that don't dress like you, that wear shoes or they don't wear shoes. Not resentful goes on to say, opponents must be gently instructed mm. in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. In other words, hey, Ted, why don't you let God do what God does? And you back off. God opposes the proud. There's another military term. God opposes the proud. He stands against us, but gives grace to the humble. Maybe if I don't engage in this foolish and stupid argument, God can do a work in this person's life because right now I'm just standing in the way. And that they will come to their senses. Yes. <laughs> Me too. Escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. This is the one point I've been worried about all week. And I've asked multiple people. You can get that. Uh, <laughs> And we wordsmith this, but I just, there are some of you in here right now that think, if I follow this, if I'm kind to everyone and I don't engage in foolish and stupid arguments, people are going to think I'm soft. People are going to think I'm soft. I, that's not at all what Paul's instructing Timothy with, to be soft. You can take your stand against the devil's schemes while avoiding foolish and stupid arguments. I, I, I just want to encourage the whole church and sit with this for just a second, but avoiding stupid arguments and being kind to everyone does not mean you are woke. It means you are the Lord's servant. 
And some of you are like, <gasps> and I, I'm just, I'm, I'm telling you, we, we've got to get back to not being outraged over everything, not fighting over everything. Last weekend, I did an event, and it's one of my favorite events to do because it's, it's first responders. It's a marriage retreat for first responders. I get to do it. I've been doing it the last few years. And I have come to love this group. I don't know if you know this about first responders, but they have a very dark sense of humor. Love it. Uh, and I'm told by the coordinators of the event, no holds barred. Say whatever you want to say. I'm like, are we recording? Uh, because if we're recording, I have to hold back. But if not, I will engage with these first responders. And at, at dinner, I just I thought about this, because if, if I'm not supposed to get involved in civilian affairs, what does that mean, a soldier of the Lord? And I was sitting down with an Atlanta homicide detective. And he spends 60 to 80 hours a week investigating the most heinous crimes you can imagine. He said, Ted, I walk in all the time and I see a scene and say to myself, no one should ever have to look at this. No one should ever have to see this. And he goes, I see the worst of the worst. I see how evil humans can be with one another. And he said, and this, this man, this started really getting me. He was teaching me. He said, this is why when I go home, marriage can be so challenging. Because the things that we are talking about, I'm sitting there in my head going, no big deal. If you would have seen what I saw today, we wouldn't be talking about this. Those of you who served in the military, you know what the first responder is talking about. When you go see scenes of war and you come home, a lot of the stuff we get wrapped up in says to you, that's not something I should be getting worked up on. And this man, I, it, it was one of these moments for me at that meal saying, when I treasure Christ and his kingdom, if I'm constantly stirring my affections for Christ and his kingdom and I'm letting that joy be stirred, I'm looking at a lot of these foolish and stupid arguments going, I don't even have a desire like to enter into that. I don't want to be quarrelsome because this is too important. We got too much going on. We have too much we need to share. I understand the bad news. I know we got to listen to it. And I know we got to learn from it. We need to make sure I get all of that, but I want to be a good news person that has joy in my affections for Christ and his kingdom. The joy killer of conflict. And there's one more joy killer, and it's comparison. We see it all the time in the church. And I want to remind all of us, we have a role to play. We have gifts, we have service, and God's called you to do something he maybe hasn't called me to do. He's called you to do something that the person sitting next to you hasn't been called to do. And we want to encourage you, run. And when you run in what you're called to do, ah, this is going to, this is going to stir joy in you. For by grace... For by the grace given to me, Paul says, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. In other words, have a sane estimate of, of who you are. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith okay, that God has distributed to each of, of you. So speaking of spiritual gifts, we read this in 1 Corinthians 12. There are different kinds of gifts. If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, you have a spiritual gift, one or more. Be used. It's different than the person sitting next to you probably. But the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service. So there's something different you're going to do with your different gift, but the same Lord. 
verse 6. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. In other words, I want to encourage you with this. Stay in your lane and cheer on the runner in the lane next to you. There is no need to compare what God has called you to do with someone else. And this is where I begin to lose my joy is when I know what God has called me to do, what he wants me to do, and then someone who has a different calling comes to me and says, you should be excited about what I'm doing, and I need you to join me in my lane. And you know what I want to tell them? No, you go back to your lane and run. I'm going to run in my lane, and it's the same God working in both of us. You don't need to compare what you're good at or what God's called you to to someone what they're not called to do or not gifted in, because then you're just going to live with you know, false Uh, You're just going to live with pride. And if I compare what I'm not good at with what someone else is good at, maybe they run ahead of me. I want those who are running ahead of me. You know, I've been saying this for a while. I'm going for the sheet cake. I want the sheet cake. And I want the younger guys in this church to run ahead of me. You got more energy. And I want to cheer you on as you're running, knowing what God has called you to do. If I start comparing what I'm not good at to what somebody else is good at, now I'm just living in false humility, unnecessary defeat. Stay in your lane. Let your affection be stirred. I think to go back to Revelation 2 for a second, for those who've drifted and lost joy, for those who live in outrage and have no joy right now, for those of you who maybe have been through a difficult conflict or you're in one right now and have no joy, you've done the comparison game and have no joy, in Revelation 2, Jesus gives a simple three-part outline to those who have lost their first love. He says, consider. Consider how far you've fallen. Give that some thought today. Go back to a time when you had great joy for Christ and his kingdom. And then it says repent. Say, I I have allowed blogs and podcasts to guide my faith, and I just want to come back to the simple things where it all started for me. And that's the third part, redo. Consider how far you've fallen, repent, and then redo what you did at first to find the joy you had at first. We go to the last parable to teach one more thing out of these parables. I learned in seminary the two things, two biggest mistakes we make in studying the Bible. We see too much or we don't see enough. And and we were taught, don't press for details. And these are simple parables that we don't need to press for too many details. But this last detail, like joy and like finding the treasure of Christ in his kingdom, is so important for you to understand, especially if this is your first time to Bible study or first time to understanding parables. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. Different than someone just walking through a field and stumbling into something. Now there's an active looking for it. When he found one, here it is again, of great value. So both parables are the same on this. Hidden treasure of great value. Sell everything to buy the field so I can have the treasure. Found a pearl of great value. He went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. When you read this, you might think, oh, can I buy Christ or can I buy my way into the kingdom? And the answer is no. Jesus in this parable is not teaching that we can buy our way into the kingdom. Why? Here's the good news. Because he already paid the price for you. He already paid the price for your entry into the kingdom. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, we read, For the wages of sin is death. And if you are not a follower of Jesus today, uh, and you were to die, heaven would not be your home. But Jesus paid the price for you, and I'm hoping today when you understand your sin and that it brings death, and you find that Jesus is the one who forgives your sins and brings life, 
and you are finding that treasure for the very first time, that it stirs a joy in you. And I just want to encourage you, don't let another older Christian who's lost their joy ever take it from you. Stick with the original version. It's the gift of God. It's the gift of God. It's not something that you earn. It's something that you are given. Eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we used to sing this in the church I grew up in. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And in Ephesians 2.8, we read why it is not something you can do or I can do to find our way into the kingdom. We can't buy our way into it. Jesus paid the price for us. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And all you need to do today is reach out and receive that free gift. And that it is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we uh, thank you for uh, all that you continue to do in this church. I pray a blessing over uh, the growth of this church, that we would leave here today. We do not want to be the one with arms folded, arms crossed, uh, seeking (laughs) our own way into the kingdom, for there is only one way, and that is through Christ Jesus our Lord. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to him, comes to the you, the Father, except through him. I pray a blessing uh, over our church family this week that they would have their affection stirred for Christ and they would find joy uh, in Christ and his kingdom. I pray for the one who's never placed faith in Jesus that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would uh, step forward, meet someone from our prayer team and uh, spend time learning about this free gift that we have in Jesus. That I would be leaving here today with my affection stirred in Christ and his kingdom and the joy that I have and the treasure that I have in him. And we pray all this in the authority of the name of Jesus. And everyone agreed and said, amen.